May the words of my mouth and meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. On January 15th of 2009, U.S. Airway Flight 1549, piloted uh, by Chesley um, Sullenberger, had a, um, a strike with uh, a flock of birds in the air. Just as it had passed the 2,000 feet mark, the, the plane continued up to about 3,000 feet before it, um, it began to descend, having lost power in both engines. Uh, you'll remember that it was, um, it was quite a dramatic uh, landing as, they, as uh, Captain Sullenberger landed the plane in the Hudson River in New York City. And, um, and while this could have been a, a real tragedy, 155 passengers on board, not one life was lost, and in fact, there was only one injury that required an overnight stay in a hospital. They called it the miracle on the Hudson. The entire crew actually received a commendation from the, um, the National Guild of Air Pilots and Air Navigators for their work. Um, the National Transportation Safety Board, a member of that board, said that this was the most successful ditching effort in aviation history. The most successful ditching effort. I don't know if you want to be known as the best ditcher. But in fact, um, so Captain Sullenberger was the, the best ditcher in, in aviation history. As I said, 3,000 feet. It, it, it just past the 2,000 feet mark when it, when it hit the flock of birds and then had climbed almost just over 3,000 when it began to, the plane began to descend, having lost all power. Captain Sullenberger... Uh, radioed back to the air traffic control, asked for permission to land the plane in New Jersey because he couldn't get back to LaGuardia where the plane had taken off from. They quickly gave him permission. And then he says, we're not going to make it to New Jersey. We're going to be in the Hudson. That's what he actually said. We're going to be in the Hudson. And he actually does. He takes the plane down. The the first uh, officer... Uh, it was reported was, you know, furiously going through the protocols for restarting engines. They were three pages of protocols to try to restart the engines, while Captain Sullenberger himself piloted the plane and took full control of the aircraft. It came down about even with West 50th Street in, uh, in Manhattan, and there, um, a- along that river, there were three different boat terminals. Uh, Captain Sullenberger later said, I put it down exactly there because I knew that there were several uh, boats in the area and it would increase the chance for a, a full rescue. He was praised, Captain Sullenberger, and rightly so for this, um, this landing. I mean, what an amazing job landing a plane with, uh, with absolutely no power, an Airbus, a, a large airplane, no power, lands it in the Hudson right among all these, um, these boats. And quickly, as you remember the story, the people evacuated the plane, got onto the wings, and boats just, uh, you know, just descended upon them quickly, and, and all 155 passengers and crew were saved. When, when Captain Sullenberger was, was praised for his skill, do you know what he said? Do you remember what he said? You, you probably do. He said, it was all about my training. It was just training. It wasn't that I was any spectacular pilot. I did what any other pilot would have done. This is what we're trained to do. And I suppose that's the case with things like airplane pilots and bus drivers and ship captains and surgeons and psychiatrists. Hot dog vendors, you never know when somebody might choke, you know. Um, all of the, they, they require training and people who actually, you know, they pay attention and they train well and, and, and we are all the better because they do this. Because I want you to admit it. When you get on an airplane 
and that flight attendant starts to go through the uh, the safety protocols, you're like, yeah, seatbelt, schmeatbelt. Yeah, I know all about how to buckle a seat, but you don't even look up from your newspaper, do you? Yeah, seat cushion can be used as a flotation device. Sure it can. You know what? I don't remember. You, try to remember in your mind that picture of those people standing on the airplane wing. Did a single one of them have a seat cushion in their hands? I mean... You know, somebody's sitting out there thinking, oh, man, seat cushion. Where was it? Why didn't I grab that? Because you weren't paying attention and you weren't ready. Thank God that not everybody is nonchalant about safety preparation, right? That people actually prepare, both in their careers and in their lives. In the gospel lesson today, we have something of this preparation. It's Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. Perhaps it's a familiar story to you and, and you know it quite well. You'll find the story in Mark, um, also in Matthew and Luke. Although Matthew and Luke have these fuller details, these fuller accounts. In in, in Matthew, you get 11 verses of this story. In in Luke, 13, they have these, these, um, you know, these specifics about it. You know, there's the three temptations, you know, and you get to know about each one and and the nature of each temptation. You also get to know about Jesus' rejection of them. You know, they turn stones into the bread. No, it is written. You know, jump from this precipice. No, it is written. You know, bow down and worship me and I'll I'll, I'll give you power over all of the earth. No, it is written. So it's Jesus saying back, it is written. And in both Matthew and Luke, these these details are so rich and full. and, And it'd be real easy for us to sort of neglect Mark. You know, in Mark you get two verses... Three sentences. That's it. Just a tiny little, you know, little little scant. And Jesus was tempted. And, and he gives us a little bit of detail, but nothing like Matthew and Luke. And it makes us want to jettison Mark and, and go back to those fuller stories. You know how we do with stories, don't we? You know, we, we're like, um, you remember that time we were going skiing and Dad slid into the snowbank, you know? And, and Dad's like, no, I, you know, there was a truck that cut me off. And, and Mom's like, no, you were talking on the phone. And, and kids were like, and we had to push that car out, you know? It's, it's all the stories. Everybody remembers their own version of the story, um, usually in ways that, um, that highlight their own heroic efforts. But here you have Mark with just tiny little story, just a few words, but pregnant with meaning. I want to read it again for you. Would you, if you want to, you can follow me in the bulletin. It, 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 not the whole, not the whole passage, just those two verses in verses twelve and thirteen. Mark says the Spirit immediately drove him, that is Jesus, into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. The Spirit drove him into the wilderness. The same Spirit who just a couple verses earlier, you remember Jesus is baptized, the heavens are open, the Spirit descends on him like a dove. This is God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit coming down. You know, a a very rich and powerful moment. And now, right on the heels of that, you have the Holy Spirit driving Jesus into the wilderness. The word here that Mark uses, ekbalo in Greek, means to throw. Balo means to throw, ek means to throw out. Literally, the Spirit threw Jesus out into the wilderness. This isn't a tender verb. <laughs> this isn't, this isn't the way you lead a puppy dog. You know how when you have a little puppy and you're like, oh, you know, and you cuddle it and you, this is not like that at all. This is the casting out. This is, oh, dare I say it? This is the bouncer at the bar, you know. You're out of here, you know. They talk. I know you know nothing about that. But imagine if you did. This is the way it would happen. 
cast him out into the wilderness, forcing him out. It's purposeful. It's determined. And Mark says, and Jesus was there for 40 days to be tempted. Did you see it? By the Satan. Mark doesn't use the word devil. He doesn't say demons. He says the, a definite article, the Satan, the Satan, the personified evil, singular person. He uses a a masculine singular pronoun. This is a singular entity. The Satan is the one who is um, tempting Jesus. And so he is being attacked by this adversary. The Satan in, in Hebrew is, is, a, is an adversary, one who works against, who attacks. And this adversary is attacking Jesus. And not just that. I mean, it's one thing to be under spiritual, uh, uh, or spiritual attack, right? The, the, the Satan is coming at Jesus, attacking him spiritually. But that's not all. Who else is in the wilderness with Jesus? The wild beasts, the wild animals, these aren't the cuddly little, you know, they're not like chinchilla. I mean, I'm sure there are chinchillas there. You ever seen chinchillas? They're beautiful little animals. But it's not bunny rabbits and chinchillas and, and the deer, is it? This is, this is ferocious wild animals. I, I don't know. You know how little children are when they see a strange dog. You know, they're, they're frightened. I have a Labrador. She got out one day, and my neighbor um, was all been out of shape. You know, he said, she growled at me. I said, my dog, growl- my dog wouldn't growl at anybody. You could be, you know, in a black ski mask and come into my house at midnight, and she wouldn't growl at you. She would wag her tail. You know, th- th- but some dogs are, are fearful. Some are, some are intimidating. Lots of wild animals are intimidating. I'm afraid of raccoons. I don't know about you. But they're scary. They're little bandit masks and whatnot. Um, have you ever seen that commercial where the where the lady has a, you know really bad eyesight and she's out calling her cat to come in and she opens the door and and in comes this raccoon and she's like, "Come snuggle with mama," you know. Uh, that terrifies me. I mean, I just think, "Oh no," because raccoons seem like got little hands and everything, you know. Who? Jesus is out with the wild beast, and it's not even you know. It's it's the worst of the, the wild beast. No protection, alone, isolated, the only company, the Satan and the wild animals. Oh, you say, but there's a little bit more. And the angels ministered to him. Hold on to that for just a moment. I want you to think about this, though. He's cast out, this forceful removal. He's in the wilderness with the Satan and the wild animals. The picture that Mark paints is one of isolation and vulnerability and terror. An attack. This is where Jesus is in the wilderness. Oh, you say, but the angels. You know, I'm not so sure that Mark understands us to to take this as an objective or subjective reality. What do you mean? Well, here's what I mean. The angels ministering him. Does Mark intend us to say or to understand that Jesus knew the angels were ministering to him? Or that the angels were ministering him to him unbeknownst to him? That is, that they were there, but he was not aware of their presence. Mark doesn't tell you. He lets us kind of linger in that either way would work. But here's the point, that this was a harsh, painful, frightening experience, and it was not a punishment for sin. Jesus was not undergoing this event because he had done something wrong. 
Not, not at all. Mark says it was a test. The word he uses, it was a test that Jesus went under. Isolation, vulnerability, spiritual and physical danger. This is what life is like outside of Eden. It's what it's like for all of us. And now here we are in the season of Lent. And Lent is not, well, it's a lot of things, but it's truly this. It's a flight simulator. You know, it's getting ready when you're really, you know, not in the event. It's sort of like it. It's an opportunity to learn about ourselves, to learn about the world in which we live, about the dangers that are all around us, both physical and spiritual. Lent is not the battle. It is preparation for the battle. Do you know when the greatest uh, opportunity for danger exists? It's right after a real spiritual high. What happened in in the story of Jesus, the sequence of events? He's baptized. The heavens open. The Spirit descends. There's this great, powerful moment. And the very next thing, who shows up? The Satan. The wild beast. The wilderness. Life sometimes in a savage world is like that where we face temptation to evil, where we face loneliness and isolation, feeling as if we're out there all by ourselves, where we live in a world where it's dog-eat-dog, you know? I mean, that's the way it works. And either get along or get consumed. And sometimes we forget that we, too, are surrounded by angels, that we're not alone. It's easy to think that we are, and we're not you know, I think um, I think when when Captain Sullenberger um, when he faced that that event in the air, to, I, I can't even imagine what it would be like to be in the cockpit and all of a sudden both engines are gone, and you have responsibility for 155 souls, and the plane is quickly going to the ground. I mean, you are going to go to the ground. That is for sure, right? There, there's nothing to keep you up. No one would think at that moment that all his training was acts of cruelty. No one would think that the training that he had undergone for the many years before that was some act of cruelty. Oh, how dare those mean superiors make him sit in that flight simulator and face a a plane with no engine, you know. No, everybody would think, wasn't that a great thing? Thank God they did that. Thank God he had the training. Because when it mattered... It just kicked in. It went on, well, pardon the pun, autopilot. He knew what to do and he did it. And if we never felt isolated and vulnerable and attacked, we would never know what to do when we really are. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.